1: When Big Mobile charges you an arm and a leg, they're taking your money and your power. And your arm and leg. Boost Mobile gives your power back with an unlimited plan for $25 a month on one of America's largest 5G networks. We can't give you back your arm and your leg because we're not qualified surgeons. Unless you're an iguana who can grow limbs back. Switch to Boost and get an unlimited plan for $25 a month. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. New customers only. One line, $25 per month with auto pay. Additional restrictions apply. See BoostMobile.com for details. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Padaroonie. Okay, well, this episode is an interview with Brent Pope, the New Zealand rugby player and pundit on RTE. And uh, he kindly invited me out to his home, where we chatted for well over an hour. Now, I'm sitting in the dressing room of the Gaiety Theatre. I don't know if you can hear any announcements in the background, because um, we're in the final... Day of rehearsals before uh, a show opens tomorrow night for a preview called The Chastitude by John B. Keane. And I have a part in the play, two parts actually, two small parts. And uh, it's an exciting adventure I'm on. It's my second play. The first one I did was the Shawshank Redemption, which uh, ran in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for one month. And this is and and came here to the Gaiety Theatre for five shows actually. So it's my second time in the Gaiety Theatre and my second play. So that's not bad going. I'm a bit. I'm not nervous now, but I will be nervous tomorrow night. I will be very nervous because apart from the opening scene, where there's a group uh, on stage. Rain, which is not really a scene as such, the, the uh, my first and uh, my entrance is coming up through the middle of the stage on a lift. So the reason I'm nervous about that is because when you're down below the stage, you're really cut off from everything that's happening. If you're side stage, you, you're aware there's an audience there. You're aware there's a play happening. If you're under the stage, it's just cut off, and then you get on a lift and you just come up right into the middle of this. There's no hiding there. You're coming up. And uh, it's quite a dramatic kind of entrance and uh, uh, I just will get the lines. I don't know. I suppose I'd, my main concern would be I deliver those lines and then exit the right way. Um, I will be nervous. There's just no getting around it. I'll just be nervous. And, oh, do I have to, have to pray? I have to sing at one point. I would, I'm not just singing the number, but I'm singing... Um, uh, what is it now? Look, I don't need, Oh. Tantum ergo sacramentum venere ur cernui Et antiquum documentum Nove... Oh, fuck. I better learn that last line, huh? Mm-mm. No, 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 no. So, um, uh, if it's your first time, or uh, any, if you, you know, give me um a five star rating on iTunes. I keep saying this every every uh, couple of weeks, and uh, it's very important to me that you would do that. If you would please do that, and uh, I'll have a chat with you later about all my all my bloody gigs coming up because I've got a load of gigs coming up in June and July booked now. Pretty much um, every weekend, uh, apart from one, which I want to take off and go to Scotland for a holiday with my children. Uh, so I'll be giving you details of that later in the in the interview. Uh, halfway there, so enjoy this. This is Brent Pope. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I'm here with uh, Brent Pope in his house, <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for letting me come into your house.
0: Yeah, it's more. It's
1: nicer it. to chat in in your home, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's more personal,
0: isn't it? I think you know mm-hmm. you can go to uh, coffee places or certain
1: venues, but I think it's you know, there's something nice about kind of your own you environment. Can, and, you can relax, so. ish. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm gonna say I start off by asking you. How, how, you, I'm gonna, you started off playing rugby. Yeah. Uh, at a, a young age and it was amateur you always played oh, yeah, amateur yeah well
0: yeah i always um, played amateur to yeah to to the degree i kind of got the tail end of the professional game in a sense of traveling overseas and i suppose like all new zealanders or australians or south africans did you had your kind of oe over playing rugby in london and the states and south africa and these places so you know they provide you know sort of digs for you in a in a car and that and it was great it was a great time of my life. i mean, I know rugby's gone professional and people make a living out of it. But people often talk about the camaraderie and traveling the world and seeing places and doing it sort of on a budget was 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 a great way but yeah, always you know played rugby since I was you know four or five actually I remember kind of a cute story i and my father said I was going to be playing my first game. I think I must have been under fives, and he—I was playing for like a Marist equivalent Catholic team over there called Celtic. You know. Yeah. And um, I remember getting my little gear on and my white shorts and my green jersey and polishing my boots and everything at that age. And I remember knocking on on the uh, parents' bedroom or something, all excited about five in the morning, like Christmas day, and saying, "Are we ready to go?" To the game, my father turned around to me said, well, for Christ's sake will you go back to bed, it's only Thursday, you know, the game wasn't until Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Was just so ex- yeah, it was just, it was lovely memories to have of those days growing up and playing rugby in the mornings and in the afternoons and so really you were know, really
1: obsessed with it. Yeah,
0: yeah well everybody mm. in New-, kind of New Zealand is, but I would come home from school and I'd put an old straw bag up and I'd hang it up on a tree and I'd practice tackling it and I'd mm. get through the fences, you know, when the Lions come, I remember when the Lions toured uh, years ago Go to my. I come from just a small little rural town, Ashburton. But mm. I'd get through my friends, and I would get through the little hole in the fence and go and watch the matches, and yeah. you know, get your kind of pie. It was all about having a pie and a fizzy drink and watch these players that you wanted to be like. Then come home and try to emulate them, and you know, oh, you play rugby, and if it was wet, you play. You'd, I'd play my brother and sort of sock rugby or. or passageway rugby which was a rolled up little sock and trying mm. to get to and it got quite violent at times yeah you know trying to take your brother on who was bigger than me That that's down a little passageway and, and trying to score tries at the other end of the uh, at the end of the hallway but yeah rugby is a way of life in New Zealand
1: right yeah. yeah but what I'm saying well actually you were a professional when you moved away from New Zealand is that yeah, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah 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 but what I was trying to get at isn't it like something missing? do you think there's something missing from professional Absolutely. Yeah,
0: in that sense, you know, friends yeah. that I can go around the world with now, and whether you like it or not, the days of sitting up after a rugby match—if you're in, you know, France and Italy, and I've toured all over those wonderful countries, Argentina—you're sitting up with the guy you played with, and you're having a beer, and mm. you're cheering times, and you're having great fun. You know, and we'd often play in tournaments where you might be in the same hotel as maybe another team or something, and you'd all, you know, mix in well and go out and have a few beers and. I think once mm. that's taken out of the game, that social side of it, that making friends and having fun and touring and having to go back to work and that and the sacrifices you make, I think that's taken a lot out of the game mm. because, you know, I played alongside, you know, surgeons to drain layers to, you know, whatever it was, yeah. people just shared their lives and, you know, you became friends with the wives or the girlfriends, you, you know, became friends for life with their kids and I'm godfather to a couple of guys I would play with their kids and yeah. Yeah, it was really a family. You know, it really was a family for a good part of your life yeah. and and you moved in and out of different teams and different families and I think that is gone. I mean, you know, that whole sort of mixing with the opposition and having the fun and learning about their lives away from rugby. Yeah, once they started to, to, to pay players, then it became a job rather than, you know, a way of life. I mean, for me, I never viewed it as a job. I always viewed it as something that I really loved to do and something that was a kind of a glorified hobby in that uh, in some regards, and the fact that you had to get up the next day and go back into work if you were working, and that was the lovely thing about it. And so actually. you
1: were part of the community.
0: Yeah, you were part of the community mm-hmm. and part of a bigger family that involved people from all walks of life, mm. um, and all different ages, and, and and New Zealand, all different cultures, whether they were Polynesian or Maori or Tongan or whatever. Then that was that was the wonderful thing. You you really got to mm-hmm. know about people's lives, not just what they
1: did on the rugby field or mm. you know what they could bench press, but you know just yeah, their lives. And I don't know, but I'm just thinking, talking about it as a fan. I'm not talking about rugby, actually. I'm a yeah. soccer fan. But yeah, sorry, I've, lo- yeah. I've lost interest. <laughs> no, what I have. I've lost interest completely. Yeah, I know. Why? Because it has nothing to do overpaid, with me. Overpaid,
0: overhyped. You know, people can't. Yeah. I know people are going to disagree. And when they listen to this, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't get it. You know, they pay these players inaudible amounts of money, mm. um, you know, to, to – look – you wonder whether the same, you know, players swap clubs, players go and different, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of loyalty. There's the no loyalty. No. It's it's the biggest bit against the best players. And you can build teams. Look at Toulon and rugby. Look at, you know, the, 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 the big clubs in, in, in football. You build teams. If you've got enough money, you can win a premiership or you can win a championship in any mm. given one year. And it, and it become Americanized like that in the sense that, okay, the guy with the biggest bankroll, gets the biggest team. And sometimes you wondered about the guys that had been at a club for, you know, 200 games or 10 years or 12 years, and then suddenly you had to make way for somebody coming in, you know. And I think that's what's gone wrong with French rugby. People talk about the, the demise of French rugby from the days that I grew up where there was all this, you know, flair and, you know, run up from anywhere sort of to a stage where now it's just, you know, it becomes a, a place for – you know ex all blacks and ex wallabies and south africans to go and and ply their trade and you know that's fair enough in the professional game but it takes away a bit of the kind of local boy does good sort of you know that mm. that's that's what sports should be about enjoyment, and, enjoyment you know it should be about fun and 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 doing something it shouldn't be about you know having to having to do it just to earn the crust you know
1: and I think it pervades all sport because my son when he was playing soccer he got fed up with it when he was 12 because it was so yeah, competitive absolutely and he enjoyed it up to yeah. that because it was just fun it was something that he enjoyed doing but then it became just you had to win even yeah. at the cost of uh like not yeah. not playing nice football yeah. no it, it, it doesn't matter and it's interesting mm-hmm. you
0: say that because I'm now working mm-hmm. on a book uh, given mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it given my mental health Background, I'm writing a book now, which is just that for young athletes. It's to learn lessons from um, some of the elite, um, I suppose, sports people in this country. But exactly that is like I get approached by parents every week saying, Oh, you know, John is devastated. You know, he's missed out on the Black Rocks uh, senior team or something. He doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know what to do. And I think, just can't you just say, just enjoy? the game and I think we're losing a lot of young players because they don't necessarily make an academy or they don't necessarily make the top team at school they're moving out of the game because Mm. the enjoyment factor is taken away and it's become very pressurized becoming win at all costs it's becoming you know you now look at rugby my own sport that love becoming physically based in the sense that it's how big you are now uh, even at an early age, not how skillful you are to a, to a lesser extent. And I think those things damage the ethos of, of certainly the
1: ethos of amateur rugby.
0: Yeah. Oh, but all sports, I think. I mean, all the, sports.
1: does anyone interested in the Olympics anymore? No, not particularly.
0: And I know why, because mm. it's become so contaminated yeah. that people look at these events now and say, who's on who's on the drugs and who's not? Mm. You know, and I mean, that oh, that's an awful... I used to love the Olympics growing mm. up. I used to love the Olympics. I used to love mm. getting up on the black and white TV and watching Muhammad Ali and their fights, all those sports, because New Zealand was so isolated for sports. So mm. you would have to... And because of the time difference, it was always something that I'd get up with my father. All oh, right, yeah. uh, And watch things in black and white in the middle of the night. I remember cycling home from school on a number of occasions to watch Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Muhammad Ali. fight. And we didn't have a TV, so I had mm. to go around to my friend Richard Taylor's who had the black-and-white TV up on a box somewhere in the garage, and we'd sit around and watch and marvel about these European sports or these are sports from America. And the uh, and Olympics was one of those, and I loved watching the Olympics, and I still like watching all the sports, from weightlifting to the table tennis to whatever. But yeah. it has become, over the years, when they started letting in sports like basketball and you had these guys like Jordan and Magic Johnson, that playing, and I thought, you know, how's that how's it's not an amateur. amateur anymore? yeah. yeah. You know, golfing it this year, like, yeah, I don't get it. You know, where do you stop? Hmm. Where do you stop and say that you know um, all these sports are now able to compete, which, which, given the perimeters, they should be able to. You know, like, I mean, what's hmm. to say that you know can't have darts or cards in the Olympics now? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I mean that. Like, yeah, you know, what's to stop it? They keep they keep increasing it every year. You yeah. Know. You know, you'll have sports like the NMA, the mixed martial arts will come into it, all these other sports, and they legitimately can can lay a claim to being able to do that. It's just Mm. that it's taken away a bit from, I suppose, the the old days of just the sprint and the track events and those sorts of things, which I loved.
1: And I think people who like sport for the love of it are moving into different maybe surfing and things like that are they do you think like you know what i mean like things that are outlying sports yeah i think i think are that, they are and there's a there's a clear division now between supporters
0: and uh, players uh, i look at even even mm-hmm. their own rugby club i came here to st mary's when i came over the crack we used to have there might have been five there might have been five or six teams on a sunday and after the game, everybody came in and the fire was on and there was a sing-song going and mm. it was great fun. You go up there of an hour of a Sunday, they might have one senior team. You know, mm. people are away, you're right, busy doing other things in their life, busy with families, busy with jobs. And, and, mm. and so it's a situation now. It's become a division of you go to most of those supporters, say, of Leinster Rugby now, of whatever, a lot of them. You know, haven't come up through the club culture. They've come up through the Leinster. That is their team. That is their that that is their culture. I'm used to, you know, coming up from. Did they support Lansdowne? They were they a right, Lansdowne yeah. man? Were they a Scaries guy or whatever? And that's fine. That's the way. It's the way of the times. Yeah. Because the kids want to go there. The kids now identify with Leinster as their. That's their club. Mm. That's their club side. But I think you lose something and not actually. Being involved in the sport at grassroots level, or being involved where you know you're playing or something like that and you're going to support it, so I think there's a clear a between them. Am- I
1: have to say, the most uh, I enjoyed sport was watching my son play. It was it's just yeah. amazing. He's oh, what a kept, buzz! <laughs> it's incredible that you get so into it. And laugh uh, is a funny story there that mm. somebody was saying, uh, was saying, was saying there that
0: they uh, were at a rugby match and one of the parents were were, were walking up and down the sideline and uh, and uh, one of the kids, obviously his son, missed a missed a, a try scoring opportunity mm. and the father was going, "Relax, Sean. Sean, relax. Don't stress." Don't stress, Sean. Don't don't, relax, relax. And somebody said, you know, really... That's really admirable, the way you're talking to your son, you know. And he said, no, he said, I'm Sean. He said.
1: <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, he's like,
0: so he was talking to Talk himself. To himself. <laughs> the son was a different name. It was yeah. like, relax, like, you know, stay calm, stay calm. Like he's on the side.
1: I thought that was, I thought that summed it up. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. The parents that say they're just going to go down and support, and then they're the one yelling and screaming uh, at know. the you I know, you can't help yourself. <laughs> yeah. you can't help oh, that's love too, isn't it? Yeah. In, in, in yeah. the regard that you care about... Uh, your children playing, I think that's wonderful. And um, so your mother, your mother bra- breeds horses. Yeah. and still does. Yeah, or- yeah, still. Mm. Does, well, still has a huge interest. Mum
0: mm. comes from a very esteemed. Um, horse breeding family uh, mm. three three daughters uh, and she was sort of inducted into the australasian hall of fame there a few years ago i think she was the only mm. female president of a racing club in in australia new zealand for a number of years but yeah has always been a horse breeder and and, and very successful and all the, mm. the sisters are so yeah she grew up breeding so i grew up around horses most of my life for sick to death of them when i was about 15 people say oh it's great to have horses not when you're at school trying to play cricket and rugby and all these other sports, and then having to get up at five o'clock in the morning and you know muck out stables and stuff like that. But but I love horses now. I love I love them. They're just amazingly intelligent, beautiful animals. But dear, mum's uh,
1: mum's horse mad. You know. And she bred them for a racing, or yeah something? racing yeah,
0: yeah. But, but primarily racing and, um, and you know we always had we always had mm-hmm. um, um show jumpers or one day eventers yeah. or something growing up that was our part of the horse or something like that and and then she moved into the racing side of it yeah. uh, and did you do events like that yeah did you yeah ride yeah yeah <laughs> wow. did I ride yeah no, it was actually i was a good i was a good equestrian uh. Rider, but I just It was a stage where I wanted to play so many other sports. And anybody that has horses know that it's a huge commitment. Mm. And I would just be, I'd be off doing other things. Like I didn't, Joe. I'd have played any sport. Yeah, know, whether yeah. I was, and I tell people at school, like you know, I, we only live. I only live about uh, twenty minutes or thirty minutes from one of the top ski fields in New Zealand or one of the top ski fields in, in the world, uh, Mount Hutt. But like one of the electors at school on a Wednesday afternoon was skiing. Yeah. And you know, I would say to other people, "Oh God, I've got skiing this afternoon." You know, <laughs> like, a, like it's like you got maths or yeah, science. Yeah, you know, yeah. oh, I've got to go skiing. Oh That's God, gross. what a what a chore! Yeah. Uh, so you were never far away from that. You always tried surfing. You were never far on the beach. Everybody could swim. You spent, you know, memories for me of a childhood in New Zealand or, or sort of getting up at the crack of dawn and with my friends off on a adventure on your cycles or something, mm. playing cricket matches that might have lasted like three weeks, and you might be. <laughs> seven hundred not out. You know, and if you hit the ball into the swimming pool you're out, or if <laughs> yeah. you broke the neighbour's window that was out.
1: And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But it
0: was it was brilliant memories and then being called in at being called in at eight or nine at night when you'd just done everything. It's
1: <laughs> yeah, amazing. It sounds yeah. amazing. And
0: now pity, shamers, you know, you know yeah. yourself kids don't have that lifestyle anymore. We're now talking about we're now no. talking about obesity. We're now talking about mm. children not being able to run. Some parent was telling me the other day that their their, their son was picked up for running around in, in the playground at school because it's all uh, you know insurance breathing yeah, sure. are afraid they afraid. fall off a jungle gym well how, like we spend our lives in jungle gyms falling off and getting yeah. back up and you know okay you graze your knees and you get back up and you you know that was that was part of life well,
1: it's that part of your life when you learn balance and Absolutely. Uh, dexterity and, yeah. and you learn to take hand a fall eye and, coordination you know y- y- yeah and if you, you mean, don't learn it in that part of your life you don't have it i yeah. think there's a window up to 12 i think so there's a real window and yeah. it's the
0: shame now about mm-hmm. modern society and i really feel for uh, for younger people because because it's not the same as going down to the gym or whatever. It's it's life experiences with friends and climbing up trees and yeah. you know swimming in rivers and doing all those things that yeah. you know. Yes, they had a risk with them in those days, but you just didn't see the risk. You got out in the, in, in, the, in the day and you spent all day out and you were fit. And I was a bad yeah. asthmatic. Uh, growing up, a really bad athletic Now, you mm. know, not just. Uh, I was a very sickly child when I was born, yeah. um And would have to take two or three days off school to go and see specialists because I, I, I couldn't breathe properly. Really? But growing up in New Zealand, by the time I was a teenager, I was fit. You know, I kind of it, it, I, I, I fitness my way out of it. You know, and, mm. and, and and I mean it could have been. You know, I was an inhaler and all those things at that that time. And and I look back now and I think if it, if I'd lived in maybe a different country. More an in industrialized country, I possibly would have had major breathing problems
1: to this day. Mm. You know, so just getting out there and yeah,
0: lifestyle, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Animals and on, you know, coming from a farm or a farming background, you're working with animals and you're out in the fresh air and and look back now. One of my favorite jobs I ever had was I I, I was a high country musterer, and I know people are going to say broke back bang <laughs> nothing like that, but out on a horse you know, in the high country in New Zealand with beautiful views and, you know, the sun shining down and spending three or four days in the kind of wilderness, and you think, I just think the other day, I never had a mobile phone or any way to contact people. If I'd have fallen off that horse, nobody would have known where you were. You know, Mm -hmm. you're in the middle of thousands and thousands of acres bringing in sheep and cattle down, bringing them into be shorn or whatever to be drenched or whatever and that, but you might be just living with a little billy and a fire and... You know, it was great when I look when I look back Jeez, at it. Brent, that. Sounds like an ideal, I, I, yeah. idyllic uh, upbringing. Yeah, when you just think just you and a horse, and looking up the, you know, with your with your working dogs, with your sheep dogs, and then just going from you know, finish the end of the day, and I used to, you'd go to sleep there in like a little hut that they made, and you'd you'd you make your your billy and your you'd boil your food or whatever like that really is a, a can is it? yeah like yeah. a little like a can on an open fire yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. and and just read a book or something and sit out there and you know Jeez. and I, I look back now and i mean that i was probably doing that when i was 17 or 18 but be three or four days just by yourself and mm. you know just looking at the scenery and
1: enjoy yeah i look it back now special memories actually for yeah. me it's strange, then, that you were drawn away from New Zealand. It sounds like you have a great love of the place. And, yeah. I do have
0: a great love yeah. of it, and I, I never say never, and people always say, yeah. you know, what am, I, what am I regarded as? And, and as people always say, look, you, you're a New Zealander first. You know, people always say, yeah. I'm well-known, as a New Zealander over here. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I love the similarities be, 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 between the countries, though, Joe. I love the fact that, you know, we mm. share the same sense of humour, you know, Irish and New Zealanders, and also the same mm. country and the same kind of lifestyles climate's more seasonal in New Zealand meaning you live a longer summer and you have a beach life there and and uh islands lacking on that a bit but I mean then the crack is here you know what I mean as mm. I think people say if you know
1: if you had the weather everybody would live in Ireland it would be great yeah, <laughs> yeah you've would. got this dampness in Ireland that that's a yeah. killer isn't it yeah. it's a bit of a dampness and I just gave it on my yeah. way here I, there was two hitch, German yeah. hitchhikers yeah, two girls you still hitchhike I, I couldn't believe it actually there was two girls with big massive backpacks and they said they'd hitchhike the whole way around Ireland <laughs> but <laughs> uh, one of them had a Cold and 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 uh, she said she's had it. Uh, for the four weeks she's been here and I was going yeah. that's fucking tough weather isn't it it's like no that's it it's a killer no, you, you, yeah, everybody yeah. gets cold everybody gets the flu don't
0: yeah, yeah. matter how many barocas you take at the start of the season or <laughs> flu jabs you always get the flu and I think yeah that's what's yeah. missing I used to love the season because I do love the seasons I like coming back into the house here and putting a fire on or whatever that and on a cosy night and mm. you sit in or something the same way I like autumn and the leaves and, and the spring and I, and I like the summer but in New Zealand mm. you'd have always had a summer from sort of November, December, January, February, March or something would be nice, much. And you get you get three or four months where you could say, I'm going to have a barbecue next week. You try saying that
1: here. Nah. Send out the invites and it's starting <laughs> to, to, to rain as soon as yeah. you send them out. Yeah. But, um, but still, well, you know, well, well, I've enjoyed it. Uh, so you came here, first of all, you thought three months to play rugby. Yeah. I came over and here.
0: I was having, you know, I was having a few mental health issues at the time. I needed to change the end and to change the end. So I needed to get away. Laundry. London at that time was it no i got no? to london i I'd, I'd, I'd got quite sick there and i went back to new zealand and oh, okay. things sort of you know we'll talk about that later but things Things got worse, and I just knew I needed a change, so I had I had offers then to go to Rome and play rugby or to come to Ireland, mm. and I'm glad I made that choice. Now, originally it was just for uh, the three or four months and for a season to just get away, and that's the way the next few years went. I would... Go back to New Zealand thinking, okay, I'm back there now. And then say, like, oh, I miss my friends in Ireland and something, and come back over and, and stuff like that. And, mm. you know, I'm never certain really where I'll end up, you know, that mm. way. I, you know, like, I mean, one of the regrets in my life is that I, I, you know, and I'm feeling it now is that I haven't seen my own family kind of grow up, nor have they seen me. You mm. know, when I've been away from my parents and that for, that for so many years, every time I go back, I just see them age a bit more mm. and – I lose that closeness and I know there's a lot of people out there that listen to that will empathize because their children are now out in Australia and New Zealand and I spoke to a guy on the bus the other day who was really quite sad. He just said, said my kids are all away and he said, that's the new generation. And I said, would you not go out there and, and maybe live with them? He, he was a widowed man. He, he kind of looked down at his shoes and he, he said, no, he said, I w-, you know, he said, I don't know whether they would want me to and he said, I don't know whether I would. and I, I really felt that he was lonely. You yeah. know, that his family that he that he, that he he helped raise and then lost his wife and now his kids are all over and having their own lives and he's here without family. And, and that saddens me about immigration or, you yeah. know, it, do, it does because I've lived that life, you know. I've lived that life where I know that I'll get a phone call from my brother or something at some stage, say your mother or father has taken ill. I might not make it back and and that's really... You know, that's really emotional for me now to get to be stuck on a plane somewhere where your father passed away or your mother passed away, not being able to say goodbye the way that I'd like to. Yeah. Um, So I'm going home in a a, a couple of months and we'll spend a bit of time with them and and maybe discuss, you know, where my future is. You know, my brother has done a brilliant job in looking after my parents as they get older. They're both dads, you know, becoming up 19 in a few years. And, you know, that's been a big that's been a burden on him too. You know, I've Mm. been, I've managed to disappear to the other side of the the world and, Mm. and uh, in some ways run away from responsibilities in some regards. And you've one brother. Of One yeah. brother, yeah. That's yeah. And it. he's That's been brilliant. Stupid. He's yeah. been brilliant with them. He has a little place. He bought a little house down there because they're still out in the country and the country people and country people know what I'm talking about. They don't want to move into the city. Oh, yeah. You know, they, even though we've said, look, would you not take an apartment or something in the city? They don't want to do that. They're, they're country people who have had, loved mm. their country life. Mm. But my brother's been great. But I just think that there's an element of running away for me. There's an element of, you know, I, I took off and and,
1: you know, I've kept it at arms. Length for so long. Mm. Well, just a quick interruption to uh, say that if you are subscribing to my podcast or if it's your first time listening, please go on uh, iTunes and give me a five star rating and uh, and a review. This would really help me, and uh, it's all I ask of you. Also, I've got um, at the moment I'm uh, doing a, a play the Chastity. and we're um, a week into it in the uh guillotine. It's gone really well. It's gone we've one week done and uh, now I'm feeling mm, I would say a little less nervous than I was on the first few nights. But I'll probably be just as nervous tonight, because I have a cold and I just feel a little bit knackered and I've just um had uh, some dentistry done. I uh had my crown um was was wobbly and it was just um Screwed in again. It was like it was like um, she did some DIY on me. Just the screw was loose. How about that, mate? How about that? Yeah. So I've got about uh, this uh, play I'm doing is going for all of me and then in June, I've uh, got a load of dates around tour around Ireland. So um, I'm going to give you those dates, and uh, if you're around the country, you can uh, come and see me. So I'm going to go through now. The third of June, I'll be in the Struel Art Centre. In Armagh, on the fourth, I'll be. Oh well, I'm at the Forbidden Fruit Festival. If you're around the comedy tent there on the Sunday, the 4th of June, and then that night, I'm going down to the Fireside Festival in Dulik and uh, doing a comedy comedy stand-up set there. And uh, then the following weekend, or the following Thursday, I think, the eighth of June, it's I'm in Debaras in Clonakilty, a brilliant venue. A lot of places like I'm doing are uh, venues for music, and uh, kind of, kind of, kind of get on that kind of vibe and that. Um, well, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, Debarras, everybody knows Debarras in Clonakilty. And uh, the following night, the ninth of June, I'm in Cunningham's in Kildare another lovely venue upstairs the room upstairs beautiful following weekend down in West Cork for a couple of days I'm going to be in the Mariner in Bantry and then the 16th I'll be in Hackett's in Skull I think both of those places is the first time they've done comedy so that'll be good and then the following night the 17th of June I'll be in the Central Arts Centre in Waterford and then a few days later on the Wednesday I'm going to head off to Glastonbury um and on the Friday and Saturday I'll be doing improv in the Astrolab uh tent or marquee or whatever you call it. And that'll be with uh, Steve Frost's Improv All Stars. And uh, on the Saturday night I'll be in the cabaret tent uh, as a the compare for quite a long time, from half ten to half one. So that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. Um I'm gonna miss the Foo Fighters but I won't miss Radiohead and I think that's the main thing I'll be free on Friday night to see Radiohead ah yes am really looking forward to that so I've got a load of gigs in July as well but um, uh, all my gigs will be up I'm going to put them up on my website www.joerooneycomedian.com and you can also get me on the uh, Twitter at 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 joerooney1 ok uh, back to Brent Pope he talks about um Uh, his struggles with mental health or his living with, dealing with mental health, I should say, and uh, 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 his interest in what's popularly known as outsider art. Um, No need to go into it now because we talk about it in the interview, but uh, here we go. See you later. So was that, you're talking about uh, mental health reason, is the reason you... The reason I came to Ireland in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. How can you equate that with... You're talking about an idyllic mm. lifestyle growing up in New Zealand. And yeah. then what happened? What yeah, because it had... You-
0: I suppose it had nothing to do with that. And I, You know, I was ashamed so long, for so long, Joe, about my mental health deficiencies. I, mm. The word shame was what I used because I was meant to be a... I suppose an elite sports person, a macho man, a real Mm -hmm. man don't cry, you know, toughen up, harden up, man up, all these things that were told to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had a problem with um, severe anxiety, self-confidence issues, low self-esteem. I I always had that from a young age. Uh, And despite you could mirror it, and that's the problem now with, with mental health is that it's not something you can see written on people's faces. It's what's going on. You know, you can look at people that are lead successful lives, and yet they're in turmoil. you Yeah. Know? Um, and that's the kind of misnomer that people get. They they can look at somebody, they can look at somebody that's physically ill and see the symptoms straight away and say, oh, you know, Joe's not looking well, or Brent, you, you know, you've lost weight, you put up. But when it comes to mental health, they couldn't. So I just hit an all-time kind of low, and it was a culmination of a, of a number of things for me um, that just kind of took its toll and. I just, I didn't, there was no one I could talk to in those days. You couldn't go for help. You, you were seen as weak, you know, mm. as a man. You were seen, you know, be seen to be trotting off to a psychiatrist's office or something like that. You'd have been, you know, like people would have just thought you were crazy, you know. Mm. That, 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 it, it wasn't, you know, all I was ever told to do when I tried to seek medical help was, you know, look, you know you're fit you know go and and, and run an extra couple of miles you know they didn't get it but I understand that's a generation I understand that so why I've been outspoken about mental health is I don't want people to go through the same life that I've had um, and continue to um, you know to have issues and to work on them but I mean I want people just to be able to go you know if they're having problems go and see someone you know Mm. go and talk to someone get it sorted get your life back on track but you know, to Did answer like, the original question. Yeah, that's why I came over. I needed yeah. to change the environment. I needed to change the people I was hanging around with. I needed to change that whole thing to get away, to a fresh start mm-hmm. for a period of time and, and to and to bury the past because I felt I was a burden to my friends, to my family, to my society. I felt that I ostracized myself. I, I locked myself away. Um, you know, I quit my job. I, you know, I spent times just under the duvet, you yeah. know. Uh, And that was it. Rugby actually saved my life. You know, uh, Ireland saved my life uh, in some regards because I don't think if I hadn't had those two things, Mm. I don't know where I'd be, you know, sadly. I don't know where I'd be.
1: And can you uh, link that to any particular... Is it your personality? is it just your personality or is there an event or is there a way of you were No, I or? always knew I wasn't normal. I,
0: I mm. always knew that, you know, sitting in a bath and crying uncontrollably when you're thirteen or fourteen wasn't normal. I, I, I you have a gut feeling about things in your life, you know. Yeah. And and I didn't see anybody else and I couldn't go to friends and say, Hey, you know, I wasn't at that age where I could go to people, and I always felt very difficult even in my teenage years to, to be able to say, hey, is anybody else feeling like this?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, um, and I remember losing a th- friend through suicide uh, when I was very, um, w- w- so very young, when I was maybe 18 or 19, and I couldn't understand it. I, it really affected me quite a lot at that time mm. because I could, I, you know, that was kind of, that really made me query a lot of things, and it wasn't kind of heard of there, and and, and at that stage it was very like, you know, people didn't talk about it, you know. People mm. didn't talk about the family didn't talk about it. Of course, as Catholics, you know, you weren't allowed to attend the funeral. Uh, it was all these things going on, and uh, I think at that time I just knew that there wasn't an event. It was just my... Look, it was my... Uh, People will know I, just, I have catastrophe anxiety. That's the way I talk about it. So for me, mm. worries don't just become something, an event or an exam or, you know, it becomes my whole life is going to take a turn for the worse. It's just when it's going to happen, mm. you know, and you'll end up, you know, I'll end up unloved or homeless or, you know, uh, without work or that. That's where it goes. So yeah. it goes to the worst possible outcome. Yeah, that you can have and funny enough because my body has served me well all my life in a sense of I've always been fit I've always been reasonably healthy uh, thank God it's my mind that hasn't served me that well like I Mm. can I can deal with I can deal with health problems pretty easily other people might say oh god they run off to a doctor and you know think they've got a a disease as soon as they have something I'm not like that but yet on the mental health side I am it's Mm. like this will happen you know, this will happen. If if I enter into a relationship, it's going to fail. If I uh, d- do a job, even though I'm an achiever, even though I'm an achiever, yeah, I'm always hanging on with my fingernails, saying, you know, when other people say to me, "Oh, you'll get something else," or when one door closes, you know, I see another door slamming. I don't see yeah. the <laughs> one door closing, and you know, and I hate to admit it, but people say you're a half full, half empty type of person. You know, sometimes there's not even a, a, a bottom to the glass. It's, it's, right. all, it's half empty. I don't want to be that way. and Most of us don't. It's just the way it takes over. It's like this tug of war in my mind about you will fail, you will fail, you will fail, you will fail. Yeah, really. That's what it's telling me the whole time. And I have to really battle with that. And it's exhausting sometimes. You will fail. You know, don't start getting happy now. Don't start enjoying yourself because something's going to come along and mess that up. Yeah. You know, so you self-sabotage
1: in all areas of your life, you and self-sabotage. Jesus, and in a way, maybe that kind of drives you on as well. It drives you, know? you on, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, it drives you on to
0: achieve, and, yeah. and it has been. It, it, you make a really good point because it has been one of the reasons why I've become very resilient. That's mm. my su- survival mechanism, uh, in a sense. It's that you know, I'm not going to fail, despite what you're telling me. I'm yeah. gonna. I'm. But it also takes away. Or the enjoyment of, there you go, takes away your sense of achievement because i become very project driven. This is another project. You know, Mm. be successful at it, you know, play rugby to the the best of your ability, coach the best ability, bring out a fashion brand, do all these things. Mm. But as soon as I think this is going to be my moment of euphoria and I can look back and say, hey, you know, job well done, you can be proud of that, I end up not getting that enjoyment but Mm. look it's something i've got to work on and and it's something that i do work on and i'm not scared to say that i go and talk to people and i say how can we change that how can i get those that enjoyment how can i get that purpose how can i get all those things i just have to
1: work at it slightly harder than other people that's the way i look Mm. at it It, and if something doesn't work out for you do you feel like that as a rejection or a and that's something i always feel if i get like yeah uh send in a proposal or something yeah. dirty you know, and it's i just feel yeah. so know, rejected because it's you like, take
0: it personally yeah. and that's also another thing that uh, that people experience and it's it, i'm sure like you you know in your in your role and in standing up in front of people you're probably like me the one person that criticises you take that as being the truth rather than the the majority says, "Hey, you are no, great." There's a
1: hundred people there and they're laughing, and there's one person there yeah. just not laughing. That's the person I'm. Yeah, laughing. yeah. <laughs> no, funny.
0: and I'm like that too. So I mean, you 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 know, and that's yeah. why I stay off social media and and all those things because if I do something on the television and uh you know even the, the arts documentary I did two years ago, which was I, was I was so proud of, you know,
1: yeah. At the end, oh, of the it's day, brilliant, yeah.
0: I would have gone through the social media like that and I'd come down to some people and say, oh, what the F would Brent Pope know about art? And i like, oh, you know, like why couldn't you get it? Like that was the yeah. one I sort of focused on yeah. rather than take all the others that said, look, you did a great thing for, for, for marginalized artists. I, I, I couldn't see that. and But that's work. That's that's ongoing mm. work you have to do with yourself and say, hey, you know, mm. stuff the begrudges, you know, like in in a sense. I know I'd love to say that and I don't do it, but <laughs> I would like to reach yeah. the stage where I say, you know what, I'm I'm a good person. I you know I I I do I do a lot of stuff for other people, and I know I'm kind and all those things.
1: And let that be oh. enough, you know. Right um so when did you start taking an interest in outsider art was that uh, uh, it was my it brother actually I, he was, was working he's a, um, it was a documentary that went out was, do, it, was um what was that
0: called again it was called uh, beyond or outside in it was it was yeah. it was my journey of bringing outsider artists in ireland and if for anyone who doesn't know world.
1: what outsider outsider art is, it's, uh, I, it's…
0: This is the term I love. It's art uncooked by culture. I think that's the right. nice best description. It's, it, it comes from brute art, raw art, naive art, whatever way you want to look at I don't actually like the word outsider art because it means that there, somebody should be, yeah. you know, who decrees what's good art or what's not good art. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Picasso's paintings hang on galleries in New York upside down and nobody even knew the difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so some of the greatest artists of, 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 of the generations have been artists that have come from the sort of, they self-taught, most outsiders artists are usually self-taught, The doing of art is a part uh, of a kind of inner awakening. It's uh, not to do with money. And they're obsessed with this. Though. You know, they, they, no. they can't not do it. No, they can't not do it. Yeah. But they also, but it's huge benefits for them psychologically. I mean, mm. if you look at what art does for, you know, people with autism, for people with other kind of on the spectrum, mental health spectrum, it's huge. And mm. you know, to see funding cut on that from drama and art therapy and that, it, 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 it's sad because I, I mm. see firsthand. The, the, the positive work that it does, but yeah, I mean it would be somebody that's
1: compelled oh, getting up, that in, the yeah,
0: compelled. Getting up yeah, in the morning yeah compelled getting up in the morning making a, a a model out of matchsticks and you know and or you know some of the art that came out of the I was fascinated by some of the art that used to come out of the subways and that from new York done on the backs of pizza boxes, done on the these people just felt compelled to use any materials. Mm.
1: There's a, there's a gallery that you went in in switzerland and there's yeah i've been there saying, I, I was there yeah, and fascinating there's one piece of art there's actually a wall that was taken out of a mental home so this guy was in yeah. in a isolation in a room all he had was a spoon yeah and he carved into the plaster it's, it's brilliant isn't it i mean it's amazing i know it's yeah. amazing yeah. it just
0: felt he had to get up on that spoon and and, and they will often use yeah. materials that wouldn't see they'll often use you know they you know especially when they don't have materials they'll mm. grab a piece of chalk or charcoal or whatever and some of the work is amazing it, mm. it, you know if they explain the work that's what i love because i won't see it and then they'll say oh that was my this is this period and i think wow i get it so i've just been mm. fascinating you can see here now most of my work in the house is uh is of kind of outside nature and nature and, oh, yeah. and, and i love that and you know what I mean the, the 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 buzz I got from that, um I used to go to New York every year, they have an outsider art fair there every year mm. and um and uh just it's just, just fascinating.
1: And so this um program is an RTA, you, you actually went out looking for outsider art in uh, from Ireland. Yeah. And you didn't know if there was any there. No, right? I, well,
0: because I'd always yeah. been to New York every year. Mm. Um, and I tell you who, you know, and I'm not just name dropping because sadly passed away, but who I met in a gallery in Chicago was, uh, who's also a collector of outside art was David Bowie, you know, you met him. In yeah. The gallery? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, and I, I, called into a gallery. Um, Carl Hammer, I think is the, is the curator or the owner of the gallery. And anyway, I called in there and I was looking through, pressing my nose against the sort of window because it was closed on a sudden. I thought, oh, I traveled all the way out on the taxi or whatever to go to this gallery and found it. And a lovely young woman who worked and there was walking down and she said, oh, sorry, we're closed. It's a private viewing or something. I said, oh, I said, I'm all the way here from Ireland. I said, I just wanted. To... And she said, oh, she said, Carl or whatever has just come back from Ireland and he loves it. And yeah. she said, "Look," she said, "I'll go and see whether you can just have a bit of a look around." So, of course, when I went in there, I'm looking around, and I go downstairs, and there's David Barry standing in there. I, yeah. like, I didn't know what to say. You know
1: that? Yeah. Uh,
0: you know the guys that introduced, "Ah, uh, David Barry," and and this is uh, Brent from Ireland. I said, uh, da, da, that that." You know, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I wanted to say something kind of so you know, but but we had just a bit of a chat, a brief chat about uh, about his love of of, of collecting, and wow. but. Uh,
1: when was that, that was they, like- oh that
0: was a good no that was I, I'm, I'm trying to go back I would say maybe seven or eight years ago right, right but I always used to go over to the New York Outsider Art Fair and I've been to exhibitions all over the world and I used to time holidays when they're on and every year I'd go over and every year people come up to me and say well you're over from Ireland and i tell them I'm not Irish I, I, you know I wouldn't qualify it by saying you mm-hmm. know I, I'm Irish no I said I live in Ireland at the moment but I said I'm in New Zealand but they said there must be fascinating art there giving you culture and history and art and uh, legends because a lot of outside arts love legends they love mm-hmm. you know um, that sort of art or that sort of um, genre of art and so I came back with the determination saying well if we're exhibiting work from all the other countries in the world there's got to be work out of an island so that was the, the mission for two years nearly I we searched and got so many submissions in from wonderful artists. Mm. And the hardest thing was really having to, um, having to people come in. I, I felt when the documentary first started that people would look at me and say exactly what they did say. Some of them, you know, what's this rugby guy know about art? Or what, it, what, what you know, what right does he have to be critiquing art? And you're right, you're right. I have no right, nor does anybody have any right mm. to critique that form of art. But when I got the approval of, you know, like Catherine Marshall and uh, and these people that had worked for Emma and, and these places who came along and saw the art and were blown away from it, it was really quite emotional because I, I, it felt that I was justified, you know, in my, yeah. in my art eye, you know, that I could see the art and I could see that it came from. It. And they met the criteria, which was all those things you see, which was self-taught, mm-hmm. compelled to do it from a spectrum outside of training from art colleges or whatever, had maybe f- fallen through the, I suppose, the traditional art routes to, to,
1: to that sort of lifestyle and certainly not doing it for money. Um, but you kind of, it's almost the same as what you're talking about in sport. These people were just compelled to do yeah. it. They weren't doing it for money. They weren't doing no. it for They uh, no, just doing it because it made them feel.
0: Yeah how it made them feel whether that was yeah. sad whether that was happy whatever mm. you look into this art and you look into the you know when they say you know the kind of windows of the soul when when that sort of art it actually is because mm. they'll explain parts of their life when they were in their you know up period or maybe they were you know weren't feeling so well especially when it comes to mental health artists mm. um, and you get autistic artists who are just fantastic at at, at you know memory pieces and pieces they might have seen you know six months before and can and can replicate them Mm. you know almost perfectly um and yet struggle with other areas of their life or you know um you know down syndrome artists and these artists who just paint these for the love of it and i always say on so many levels it doesn't work and that's what makes it work like you know the head will be the wrong proportion. The ears will be, you know, six inches bigger than they should be. Yeah, yeah. But that's what makes it work. And you know, the colours might ne- necessarily be something your art teacher would tell you to mix together. But they come up with this colour that hasn't in- been sort of invented, and it just looks great. And and I love that part of it, art. You know, I love it because it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah, because I suppose
1: uh, if you're taught art or you're con- well, yeah. you begin to be taught what's right and what's wrong yeah and then and that's the wrong thing you about you can it. start criticizing your own you exactly oh no i can't put that out it's people no, who will laugh at because me because proportions aren't right <laughs> yeah. and
0: this is not the way i was taught yeah whereas these artists just give them a bit of canvas yeah. and um and it's 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 a form of art that's mm. actually used in psychiatry believe it or not is mm. that When people are asked to visualise periods in their life, very good or bad, and and to to draw down what comes to mind, Mm. often if people stand over a canvas and somebody says, look, draw memories of your childhood or draw the first thing that comes into your mind, it Mm. can be something like that. It can be something quite naive. It might be a drawing that's akin to something you might have done at school, but that might be your memories. That might be Mm. your you're kind of subconscious or that's coming to play you know it's, it's it's well i
1: can imagine it would really work for memories before you became yeah. articulate before you were Absolutely. You, you knew how to speak because how can you talk about those things when you couldn't talk back then no it's, uh, I mean? it's yeah, a it's a great it's, point it's a visual memory. it's a
0: visual thing and it's and, and mm. you know yourself i mean sometimes images can come up pop up from from
1: from mm.
0: nowhere i mean Suddenly, you can have images or dreams about people you're at school with, and you can just mm. about
1: see—you mm.
0: just about see the exact detail of what they look like. Or, a, you know, I remember—I remember having a, a dream and some guy that I'd spent one night at his house when I was about fifteen. It was sort of a, at his parents' house. I could just about draw that that room again, and I don't know why. I, and it's one of those things that you just sort of think, "How yeah. can I have?" There's the clock on the mantelpiece. There's. I remember there been a picture of an airplane for some reason. I think I was probably only in that room for an hour. So it just shows you the power of the, of the mind as a
1: computer, doesn't it? You know, yeah. You, you know, and that's that. That's so, the imagery of, of art. Because mm, I find I'm doing terrible. People, I, I find what really works for me is uh, when you close your eyes and just uh, yeah. stream off consciousness. Because then you kind of are think you're seeing pictures in your mind. You're seeing pictures in your mind, and yeah, and, 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 and that's what and, and they put on canvas or
0: on wood mm. or on clay Mm. or they sculpt whatever Mm. and that's what fascinates but i mean Mm. it's a journey that's taking me around the world i would love you know everybody has bucket list things they want to do and one of the things is is for me is to have a gallery again somewhere that people could come in and see this art and Mm. uh, purchase it and uh, get a love of it for me but i mean that's just a lotto thing you know it's (laughs) if if i was to win the lotto i'd love to have a little gallery in ranala or something and People would come in and just work for those artists on behalf of those artists. I don't want mm. three ducks on the Wicklow Mountain. I don't want watercolored uh, pictures of horses and houses. I don't want that. I want art where people come in and go, "Wow, that!" I I, I either hate it or I like it, but it's yeah. doing something to me. Yeah. And so that's a dream. I you know I've gone some of the way about trying to trying to do that and 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 try to source you know source a, a place and. You know, I have the artist out there. It's just, it's just getting there. But look, it's a, it's a, it's a dream. It's a dream.
1: Right. Well, yeah, it'll happen. If, if um, so, I know. How did you get into the fashion area? Then, I mean, if that was that. a fashion well, with cool. You? You're always a good dresser. <laughs> no,
0: no, I, I, and you know <laughs> what? It? Not getting, not, not over analyzing here. Here's mm. something. Here's something. I got into clothes because, again, I felt. Um, I didn't have any confidence in the way I looked as a as a, as a teenager. Even though mm. on the outside, it, probably people said, "Look, I'm a normal looking, you know, healthy enough New Zealander." I had I had low self esteem. I, I I wasn't very good at talking to women or having girlfriends or anything like that. Really? No, I I, I just I, I I could I could act that way, but deep down I didn't. I was you know I mean God, I mean that. For my whole life, I was I was like, you know, never ask anybody out or anything like that. Or, yeah. you know, I remember another funny story. There always used to be a guy on uh, New Zealand radio, uh, Earl Nightingale it was. He was an American psychiatrist, and he had this deep voice, this is Earl Nightingale. You know, mm-hmm. he used to give you life messages every Sunday. And that it always used to be on the radio. But I remember wanting to ask this girl out to a, sort of the senior palm order, Rachel Bradley. She was a stunner from another school. And... Earl Nightingale came on that very morning I'd been procrastinating about ringing her for, for, for weeks, you know, get three dials on the phone and then hang up, and yeah. Earl Nightingale said, you know, in a similar situation she said, by not asking, you get the same answer, really, as if you asked, and she said no, meaning that if I wasn't going to ring, I'm, I'm still getting a no.
1: Yeah, yeah, So yeah, I yeah.
0: plucked with that courage, I thought, I'll ring her. Yeah. So I marked, I remember going into the small room, it's vivid now, the memory, and I got on the phone I rang, and I said, Rachel Bradley, I said, it's Brent Pope, would you like to go to the to the prom with me? And she said, "With you, no." And I, hung up. <laughs> I always said, "Bloody you, Nightingale!" You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a shiker. So anyway, getting back to the fashion. So I always, I always liked to look as good as I could, and yeah. so I'd look at magazines, even going back before kind of um, uh, days where you could order online and that. And I'd look up – Magazines, and I'd send away to Australia, whatever, and get you know, and they never looked, they never looked on me like they did on the model. I'd always no. get them thing, oh God, it looked great on him, but you know, but, but, but you're a big guy like so. Yeah, I mean, you, and that's right, and so, and so, I always did that. And mum, mum uh, for a time was a, a manageress of a of a, a big um, fashion house, Valentine's there but like Brown Thomas. So I'd always be critiquing mum and dad when they're going, and they're always mm. well-dressed going out, and dad would be coming in saying, how do these shoes look with this and that? So mm. I had an interest in it, and I suppose then over the years, always being approached on TV to wear other brand shirts, and people come up and say, look, why don't you wear one of our ties? And I got to a stage about four years ago, I said, why don't I try to do something myself? Mm-hmm. And something, because I saw a fashion change in Irish men, I saw Irish men suddenly not just looking at the one shirt, you know, the blue or the white and that last them a season or the same suit or the same yeah. pair of shoes. I started seeing them start to dress up a bit and dress to impress or whatever. And so I thought, OK, guys, physiques are changing. Uh, you know, guys are getting more sort of buff. They're looking after themselves more. I wanted people to be age appropriate, meaning that I, you know, I didn't want to go down to the Shelburne or whatever at Christmas time and see a 60-year-old guy with 20-button shirt and, you know, <laughs> things like that. I, so that's why that's why I developed, and it's gone really well. I, you know, it's been hard work, but I, I love it. I love doing anything. I do everything from I do everything from the design to the unpacking to packing to the selling. I do it all. Yeah. I do everything. I'm not one of these people that just go on and said, okay, I put my name to a shirt. No, I go over, I sit down and say, look, I want that collar, I want that style, I want this, that, the other. We choose the material. I go back and forward. I choose the buttons. It comes back in then. I unpack the boxes. I put them into into the plastic wrappers and I send them out the shop. And then I go out selling. So I get on the road, in the back of the car, go into all the shops. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I do everything. Yeah. But also means... (laughs) <laughs> people don't pay me i don't get paid it's all those things it's not like i've got i, I keep saying my strength and the fact i'm small and my strength hopefully is the fact that people see it and say you know what brent's in ireland he's doing something here for the economy yeah i'm not i'm not you know buying outside or bringing stuff in and 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 uh, you know it it's it, it's it's creating it's creating something here you know
1: it's and creating t- a brand here How, can you order online as well so- yeah, if you order online.
0: I mean, that's the, I'm, I'm not great with I'm not great with no.
1: the, the the what would I say I'm not great with
0: computer. Jesus, oh, that's like so old fashioned to say you're not great yeah? with, not great with computers. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm just no, I did online last year and I've got to get those up. Uh, you know, I get get the shirts up online. But yeah, people can buy online. I think in mm. dot or something in – and I like that side of it as well. Look, because shirts, and it's, it's, it's shoes. shoes now, shoes. shoes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really quite excited about that. Again, mm. my own designs, and it's a more probably a competitive market. Um, mm. But look, you know, I've always I've always decided, Joe, that I have to as part of my mental health awareness to mm. step out of my comfort zone. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. Do sure. something. Do something that scares you. Do something that you know. Look. I'm not making any profit at, at, at the moment. I've been two years into it, but, mm. you know, I enjoy doing it, and, and, and hopefully hopefully, in a, a couple of years' time, people say, okay, yeah, it's a nice little brand, and it's tipping away. I'm never going to make me a million dollars. I'm never going to be Tommy Hilfiger, but mm. nor do I want to be, you know. I just want mm. to be doing what I'm doing and, and, and enjoying it, you know.
1: Right. That's great. I love your stuff. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah be thanks nice, very much. really nice yeah. stuff. Um, so in just to wrap up how would you like uh, just, let's talk about mental health uh, if somebody's in i mean when you got to your lowest stage you yeah. rang smart yes yeah. so is that be correct yeah yeah uh, and i was greeted and,
0: with um with a very emotional i kind of got to the stage where i i i always needed i knew i needed help i couldn't find mm-hmm. help um despite talking to various people um so it was desperate. St- best was stages in my life, and I about three o'clock in the morning, I went through the yellow pages, and I thought, "I'm in trouble here." I, I knew enough to know that I was. You were like inspiring. really? Yeah, I, I, I was. I was. Get, I was getting worse rather than getting better, and I, I couldn't do it myself. And I knew that I needed someone to to either give me some reassurance that there was help out there, or or kind mm-hmm. of. And I really, I really do attribute it to sort of you know to, to to at that stage changing my life and and i remember it was about three o'clock in the morning and i rang and i remember to this day that the the voice that greeted me on the other end was something like you know what's the problem friend and i just loved that word friend i thought he's not my friend i'd never met him but it was just this warm voice that mm. called me a friend and it kind of it opened me up to stage to, to sort of break down there and then, and, and I think we stayed talking for about four hours, and, and I started doing little things that very next day. I started, I wasn't taking care of myself. I had various... Um, <coughs> I had psoriasis all over my body, I was stressed, I had lost uh, so much weight was it I wasn't you' all all tied up with not taking
1: care of is that you mean lifestyle, you, yeah, I just
0: when I got in that situation when I'd locked the door, I didn't you know the thoughts of the thoughts of having a shower and looking good uh, the furthest things from your mind it was just mm-hmm. about survival yeah. it was pulling the shutters, and nobody wants to know pulling the duvet over your head and just saying. I don't know. Just, just people that'll know that'll been in that in that position. You just give up. You give up there being any respite to this. You just you you give up trying to battle. The battle becomes exhausting, and you just say, "Look, okay, mm. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know when this is going to change. I don't know when I'm going to be feeling better. I don't know. You, there's all so many don't knows, you mm. know. And what that man gave me at that time was hope, and he gave me that. Brent, start doing these little things you know and the little things was just cleaning up the apartment or going for a walk right
1: um
0: and it started like small steps it started like you know maybe meeting a friend where i hadn't met for weeks you know because i thought i was a burden to them is reconnecting with people and and also it was kind of on his advice somewhat that said look maybe you need to change start changing then to change the out and I'll always remember that it was start changing the way i think about things mm. to change the outcome and part of that change was hey i need to get away for a few months and um a fresh new start something that i can positively look forward to rather than you know dragging back the coals because i felt that everybody was talking about me i felt that because of your behavior yeah, because i'm a behavior I thought that people didn't want to that made it worse it made it worse because I thought oh they'd be saying oh here comes your man again you know oh, geez, we're going to have to put up with this and, and that's the feeling I got so mm. you, you become very lonely very alienated uh, from your, your from your own Some family spirals, familiar, uh, spirals. Yeah. then you think you know what's the point you know you just sort of think you, 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 you're really in a battle then to to find something positive mm. you know I couldn't find anything positive Mm. The only thing, as I said, the only thing that I, I, I clung on to was that I was good at rugby you know, and, and was mm. good at a sport. Mm. And um, despite those despite those down times, I would always... I skipped trainings and that because I could make excuses, but I'd always drive out, play the game, and then get straight back in the car and go back and shut the door. Uh, but it was for that hour. It was
1: for that hour playing rugby. But when you were playing, all the problems were gone, were they...? For that period of time, because I yeah. could concentrate on something else, because you were living yeah. in the moment. Um, and
0: then I would, I wouldn't even have a shower at one stage because I was so, I was so stress-driven at that stage. So um, anxiety, my 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 face, my face was embarrassing. I felt like I looked like kind of elephant man because my psoriasis had got that bad at that stage that any kind of sweat or 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 um, Hot water would just break, you really? know. So it had physical manifestations yeah. as well for me. Yeah. Um, so get straight in the car, my gear still on, go home, uh, and then wait till the next week. Um, and that's and that's that's what I did. Um, but I mean, it was that it was that one hour that. I could forget about everything and yeah. I could still, whether I took my anger out, whether I took my aggression out, whether I took my disappointment out, whether I took my hurt out, I could take it out on the rugby field. Yeah. <laughs> I could take it out on other people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 But, but you know... It, it, when I could draw down on that, it actually made me a, 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 a good a good sports person. But then I would go back into my other life, mm. um, and so that was it. I, so so I changed that, and 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 I know and now know. So the message for me is to people out there, is that you know, it's okay. It's not that abnormal that you know everybody has their trials and tribulations. It's how you deal with them, um, and how you get. Um, get onto that quickly i i don't want the thought of other people sitting there and spending a week there and going off to a ga match the only respite they have mm. when they can just as easy get in and go down the road to a to a doctor or whatever or somebody and say hey you know i'm not feeling the way i think i should be i'm, I'm negative about certain aspects of my life and you know i but but i need help and you know and welcome it And like why is it so easy for us to go down and put a broken ankle in a plaster or put a mm. band-aid on a on a on a cut but it's not that easy for young men in particular or men of all ages to go down and say hey because it's this damn john wayne syndrome as i call it this,
1: mm. you know is that preve- strong pre- more prevalent in, in yeah. prevalent i should say yeah. in sport in sport absolutely yeah
0: because that's exactly the name i give it it's the, it's the, it's the john wayne it's yeah. the, you know it's the be tough you know, yeah. and uh, and and don't I mean, share your emotions. You know, yeah. like, you know, like how many men grew up in that. Ge- now it's changing, thankfully, and it's changing because of modern society that it's now okay for men to have emotions. But then the problem is now is I think for for, for young males is they don't know who they're meant to be. If you know what I mean, you know that yeah. you know. Because over time, it was always yeah. a strong, silent type. There yeah. was always no... My father's a strong, silent type. Gets yeah. the job done. He's the provider. Puts food on the table. Does all this. Mm. Now woman out there fair enough you know and, and 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 i applaud it you know they're on equal footing with men now. yeah and and not quite <laughs> but
1: <laughs> i don't think they are <laughs> but they're not getting paid as much well no but but, yeah. but i mean yeah. equal
0: footing in, in 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 sense of status don't get me wrong i mean yeah. uh, you know yeah. it's 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 absolutely fine and justified that you know that they're now but, leading but i know what you mean that makes men yeah.
1: feel well i'm not the provider anymore well, so what do i do so what is my v- yeah you know, role in life, yeah.
0: I've heard of, I've heard of, mm. I've heard of uh, some uh, guys going out on dates and that, and, and not knowing whether to open doors because they've opened it, <laughs> and somebody said, "Well, I can do that for myself. Thank you very much." So that whole sort of chivalry, being a gentleman, yeah, which you were g- taught to believe, yeah. You know, some some guys are confused now. What, oh, what I know it is confusing. Yeah. yeah. Well, which
1: which one yeah. do you do?
0: What, what 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 do you do? You know, <laughs> p- pay for a meal out. Well, don't think I have enough money. Well, you know, you. you and and I think you know that's yeah. that's that's, co- that's causing a, a few problems. But from a mental health point of view, is that especially for for young people is look, you know, you'll be fine. And and, and, and you know, it's, it's 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 I'm not I'm not going to be foolish enough or naive or even ignorant enough to say has my mental health issues been my strength in my mm-hmm. life uh, rather than the weakness? Because I would have rather had the I would have rather have lived without it Mm. but when I look back on my life now it's the mental health work that I do that I'm most proud of Mm. you know that's even quite emotional for me to say that it's the it's being able to walk down the street and have somebody come up to me and say I heard you talk in an event I saw you at a school or you did something around a documentary and you saved my life I mean how powerful is that to hear from someone and Mm. it's amazing more so than anything i could have ever done in rugby i could have only ever scored a winning try that gave people some you know happiness or whatever for a short period of time you have an ability when you're open about your mental health to change people's lives and and that's a that's a, that's that's a remarkable well, that's i suppose honor was it difficult for you to
1: come out oh, in public yeah. and, and absolutely say, i yeah. went
0: round the back of rt and i put my, my hands in my in my head and i I started I started physically crying, and I'm not mm. ashamed to admit it because my life was over in Ireland as I saw it.
1: Yeah?
0: Yeah, that's the way I saw it. Ryan Tuberti kind of broke broke me. And I'm going back. I know there's a lot of people out there now, but I'm going back, you know, I'm going back over maybe a decade. I'm going back a long time with this. Mm. I know that, you know, and I applaud people coming coming out in the media now and saying this, but, I mean, I've had to. This was this was a 40-year a, a battle for me. It wasn't just something that I sort of discovered. It had been something that had been brooding away for a long, long mm. period of my life. And um, I, Ryan just happened to get me on a time where I spent a bit of time in New York, and I come back and I was very lonely and I was in a low place. And mm. I was meant to go on to his show talking about rugby, and he just looked at me and said, Brent, there's something really he just knew he knew that there was something you know it's like he knew that something that was something was ailing me and i just couldn't stop i i I was just he caught me which is probably great journalism yeah but but he caught me in that vulnerable moment where i just said look no i'm not i'm not well you know i'm not I, i you know i just and we everything else all the other interviews that morning he just he shut them off and we we talked. I think the interview went for nearly two hours, and I walk, walked out of RT and I thought, I'm finished in this country. I'm finished as a broadcaster. I'm finished as a man. I'm, you know, people will think I'm weak. Um, people will laugh at me. Uh, rugby people out there will see see this guy that's physically big, but you know is um, is fragile. Mm-hmm. And I thought that can't happen in my sport, and it can't happen to me. And I thought that's it. Mm. I just thought, you've opened your big mouth um, and look where it's going to get you. Mm. Now, the outpouring of support and love I'll be eternally grateful for because it allowed me to kick-start my journey again to, to kind of, I suppose, to understanding or being, you know, um,
1: looking at things differently. But at that time… At I that just time, were that you seeking any help, like… Uh, cancer in our therapy. Right? No, tr- we're well, no. trying to, trying yeah, to but yeah, you well, know, there yeah, wasn't yeah.
0: the medium really for it. wasn't it, it, there. It, yeah. it, you know, and you'd, again, yeah. you'd have to, it'd be like, where would you sneak away to. I mean, who did you ask? You know, yeah. like, I mean, I was due. I was always in a position with sports that I would always have team doctors or I'd have people that would be associated with the rugby team. I didn't know where else to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I, and, and especially come from New Zealand where I got plenty of rebuttals. They just didn't want to know. People didn't want to know. Yeah. You know, if you went, to, I could go in, I'd go in every two weeks with broken limbs and broken ribs or broken arm or whatever like that, and and that would be fine. And then when I tried to get around the, <laughs> the questions of sort of like, you know, of sort of to, to approach that and say, look, hey, I... I, I I don't I don't think I remember when I walked out and I, I I remember ringing my father one time after a match a big match now uh, you know a kind of a I've of kind of leinster munster proportions and I went outside and I got on a payphone I just rang my father and I was in tears and I said I don't, I don't know what's happened to me but can you come and get me even then when I was just kind of pulled back in and 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 told that I was selfish for leaving the team and all this I, I, and i tried to explain to them i said it's not it's not to do with that it's to do with the fact that i can't handle the anxiety i can't down the stress and that was just brushed under the carpet mm. more or less told don't be ridiculous like get back to training or whatever like that like it wasn't mm. and that was the attitude you faced you know, yeah. your faced face yeah. that you'll be stonewalled wherever you went you could talk to it <laughs> As I said, somebody said, tell your problems to your friends, and I said, I tried that, but then I have no friends, you know. <laughs> so I think one comedian said, so tell them to taxi drivers, you know. Uh, yeah. But,
1: uh, the barber.
0: Yeah, or the barber. So <laughs> that, that was the way. So yes, yes, mm. I may, but I didn't know Irish society that well, and I didn't know, apart from the small circle of people we had, the media uh, and, the, and the medical teams, that I didn't know really who to go to. Or I would ring helplines or whatever, or, or mm. lines sometimes in the U.K., uh, I would, I would ring them, uh, wow. if I had to, uh, had to talk to someone. I would, I would try to ring because they yeah. just were probably because there was really the, there weren't really the facilitation. You no, know, like
1: this is ten years ago, about yeah. Oh, probably longer. Longer. Ten ago. years yeah, ago yeah, was, yeah.
0: Uh, ten years ago was when was, was when I really was brave enough, and I, I, it wasn't even a bravery thing. Like I didn't choose to do it. I just got. Mm. I got size five you know, and then, then yeah, I thought, no. well it's out there now, and that's it i'm going to be judged and and um and it was it was it was really it was a it was just a horrible feeling support I just didn't think I'd have any support, and yet yeah, yeah. what I ended up having was um was loads of support mm, mm. are there still people out there that that will judge me? Yes, they will you know, people will mm. start looking, even people listening to this will see it as being you know. Uh, it doesn't affect me, so, you know, I can't get it. And I, I always say about mental health, I said it's the one thing that is totally at times irrational. It's unexplainable. Mm. Um, people that are in the throes of, of mental health t- turmoil, they'll act in a way or they'll do something that is not rational to other people. Mm. That doesn't mean to say that they've intended to do that it doesn't mean to say that that's even that they would do on a normal day it's just something takes over and so mm. when people always try to tell me that oh well, somebody's doing that or they're acting a certain way and this is so not like them and and all this i just said but like it may not be them either it's just it's it's it's, it's a it's a rational bit of thought that yeah you know people react different ways to different situations and it's just giving them the giving them the space and not to judge. You know, people are too judgmental. Like, God forbid that something happens to them, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the worst thing is that you act in a, an irrational way and then you feel shame about it. Yeah. And that's the spiral. Yeah. Then you because
0: the word it. shame is yeah, an yeah, awful yeah. word to use about anything in anybody's life. Yeah, yeah. Whether yeah, it's yeah. they feel they're overweight or whether they feel they're unattractive or whether they feel mm. they're not intelligent. Shame is an awful, awful word. Mm. And that's... For so long, that's how I felt, and I don't Mm. want anybody, young or old, to feel the same shame uh, that I felt about having something that was fixable, livable, and, you know, even that you could use in a a way, as you said before, to to do great things in your life, and and Mm. so in that sense, going back to the thing we started about 15 minutes ago, so sometimes I do think I give myself a break, which is hard for me to do, because i'm very hard on myself sometimes i think you know what i've done some good somewhere to someone you know and um and yeah and i i, I hang
1: on to that you know but that's a great way to finish this interview yeah. thanks a lot Brent. no no thank, thank you, you very you. much you thank know. you brilliant Brent pope and i have to thank him uh, most sincerely for just giving such an honest and open interview and for um um let me into his house to do because it. it's always n- oh, yeah i kind of think it's uh, it's uh, nicer to talk to people when they're in their own environment so uh next it's, that was it's been three weeks since I put out the last one and it's taken me so long to put this one out it was because I've been so busy rehearsing for the play and the gaiety and uh, uh, lots of other malarkey's going on so I, hope, I think I'll get the next one out quick enough I'm going to talk to Aisling O'Neill who I'm acting with in The Chastitude and you'll know her from uh, Fair City and uh, I'll probably talk to a few of the cast actually it's been interesting just working with uh, uh, professional, full-time actors, uh, theatre actors as well as TV actors, but just an interesting, uh, just a completely a yeah, separate life to the stand-up comedy, or um, and uh, it's an eye-opener. It's inter- it's 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 we- it's amazing because as a cast, you know, as a cast, you really bond with people, and you're relying on other people to. Uh, 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 to make the show, uh, everyone has you know you've got to trust everyone else that they'll do their part. If someone screws up, everyone else is panjacks, and you have to save, save it, save it. I suppose uh, if something happens, if prop isn't there or whatever, um, and all this kind of stuff, uh, it's just great. And just just to to uh, uh, start off reading something around a table, and three weeks later a curtain comes up and it's you're the six hundred people there ready to see this play uh, it's nerve wracking absolutely nerve wracking but it's going great and I'm loving it loving it I'm loving it mate so uh, if you uh, want to find out anything about my gigs I'm going to put them all up on my website www.joerooneycomedian.com uh, and I, I cannot I cannot stress enough if I get if you can give me a review of five stars on iTunes it really helps so thank you for doing that Please do it. And thank you if you have done it. All right. See you next time. Goodbye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm seeing something. It's smiling at me. But not a friendly smile. The worst smile I've ever seen in my life. Do you see it right now?
1: Smile. Read it R. Only in theaters September 30th.